I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. This is the word of God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Remember that man is like the grass and his glory is like the flower of the grass, but the grass wither and withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that by it our minds would be renewed. How we need that. It seems like in the history of the church, we in this generation need to hear these words more than any other generation. And although we like to think of things that way, we need it as much as every other generation. We need it to the saving of our soul. We need it to the fulfillment of the aim of our created purpose to worship you. We need our minds renewed. So I pray that we would feel that need, that we would recognize that need as it comes to us in the scripture, and then that we would go from here with our minds renewed and see the need of it and pursue the end of it for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 12.1 says that the Christian pattern of life is self-sacrifice, and we've been seeing how that is defined in verse 2 so far. We sacrifice, we offer, present ourselves to God because of his mercies towards us. It's assumed there that as we look at the Christian pattern of life, I want to remind us again that the Christian pattern of life is to be lived out for Christians. You don't attain the term or the identity as a, as a, as a Christian by living this pattern of life if you don't know or don't experience already the mercies of God. The mercies of God are defined through Romans chapter 1 through the end of chapter 8 as the salvation that comes to us by grace alone through Christ alone. That is Ours by gift, the Bible says, and ours through the means of faith, trusting only in the gospel of God concerning Jesus Christ. Him crucified, him buried, him risen again. The new life that we have, we have in Christ Jesus. That is the mercies of God, and this is the life that is lived out by those whom have received the mercies of God, who have been born again, who have trusted Christ, who are justified already, who have peace with God, who are not condemned, who are children of God according to the Holy Spirit's work of adoption. And all of those things we have already laid the foundation of, but we've been speaking in verse 2 about two aspects of the Christian life. The first is negatively spoken of, that we're not to be conformed to this world. This world meaning this age, this spirit of this age. I define that as this temporary age of man's rebellion against God. It won't go on forever, but we're not to be pressed into that mold. 
And the next word, the positive assertion of what we are to be as this Christian pattern of life is defined, is that we're to be transformed, not conformed, not pressed into the mold of something that we're not. We're, be, we're to be transformed to be what we are. Namely, we're, we're to be pressed into the mold of Christ's likeness. We're not to be what we're not, conformed to this world. We're not of this world anymore. We've been bought out of it. We've been brought out of it by the mercies of God, the God of this world, the theos of this world. Satan does not rule over us any longer. So, positively speaking, we're to be transformed. But those two aspects of the Christian walk speak of something that, are not, that is not altogether complete in us yet. We're ongoing in our Christian life. We're still not to be conformed. Tomorrow, you're not to be conformed. The next day, you're not to be conformed. You're to be transformed. And so when we come to our small little phrase this morning, we should recognize in it that this is something that is also ongoing. What we read here, first of all this morning, is that the renewed mind is essential for us to live out the Christian pattern of life. The Christian life is necessarily dependent upon the renewal of your mind, the ongoing renewal of your, your mind. Romans 12.2, I'm going to read it all, and I want us to see this, I, I believe it's an adverbial phrase right in the middle of it that binds everything together. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's, that's our focus. But notice what comes after it. It's also dependent upon that phrase. That ye may discern or prove what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, it's important. Grammar is something that not many people like. I don't especially like it, but it's important that we see that this phrase in the middle of it all, by the renewal of your mind, is essential for what comes before it and after it to take place. First, notice both the negative and positive aspects of the Christian life, the not conforming and the transforming, are necessarily dependent upon this, our minds being renewed. That means it's important. The fact that in order for us not to be conformed to this world and to be transformed, rather, is necessarily dependent upon the renewing of our mind means for us that this is something to take to heart. If you thought that was important, this is the means to that end, is what the apostle is telling us. And what follows in the phrase, by, or the phrase by the renewal of our mind tells us why we must have a renewed mind in order to be conformed, not to be conformed, but transformed, because by the renewed mind we will know through testing, we will have discernment what is the will of God. Listen to this. You cannot not be conformed and be transformed without knowing what the will of God is. You will always fail. You will always fail of being properly situated in your 
Sanctification, in the, the direction of your sanctification, not conformed, transformed, if you don't know what the will of God is. You know, the Christian faith is not a mindless faith. It's not a thoughtless faith. It's not merely an emotive faith. It's not merely a leap in the dark into the abyss. It relies on what we know. The teaching of the apostle is this. Apart from a renewed mind, you cannot know God's will. You cannot distinguish what is good and acceptable and perfect. And therefore cannot properly distinguish between not being conformed to this world or being transformed, being what you are in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? If you're not having a renewed mind, if you don't have it, you will not understand even what you are. If you cannot do these things, you won't present yourselves to God, a holy, living, acceptable sacrifice. You won't worship him properly. Everything hinges almost in this entire portion of verses 1 and 2 on whether or not your mind is being renewed regarding the Christian life. Needless to say, much is resting on it, isn't it? So what does it mean? What does it mean that our minds be renewed? First, as I've already mentioned, this is an ongoing process. This can literally be rendered made new and new again and again. That your mind be made new again and again. The only time, other time, this Greek word is used in the New Testament is used in regards to the Holy Spirit's work, operation, both in first in rebirth, but also in his work of renewal, which I believe regards sanctification and new birth. In Titus 3.5, Paul, writing to Titus, says, He saves us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. He's speaking of the operation of the Holy Spirit there, and we'll look at that later as we go on, very, very much so at the end of this sermon. But Titus there, Paul is speaking in regards to the ministry of the Holy Spirit especially, the work of grace in the, in the sinner, which is all a work of grace. It's only according to the mercy of God that the Spirit works this way. But in Romans, Paul is speaking about a process that you and I must continually be going through in order to live the Christian life successfully. Second, what does it mean then, if this is the renewed, the renewal aspect is ongoing, what needs to be renewed? It's our minds, of course, that need to be renewed. But what does it mean, our minds? Mind regards not merely our intellectual properties. When you are living the Christian life, it doesn't merely mean that you become an intellectual, a master at arithmetic. It doesn't have to do with you growing in some extraordinary intellectual ability or skill set. The mind in this context is the means of knowing or understanding God by his revelation and knowing his truth, which is what he's revealed to us in the scriptures. Indeed, it is the mind being able, the, the ability to discern 
That's what it says here, his will and desiring to do it. The mind here doesn't, in fact, lead with emotions. We use the phrase, I feel like that's true. We, we lead with the emotions these days. Something feels true, that must be true. And I tell my wife all the time how much I hate that language. I feel that if you did this, then you would succeed. Or I feel, and then I'll find myself using it. Yeah, another reason why we need our minds renewed, right? But this doesn't lead with emotions. This mind is informed And therefore, it can correctly and conscientiously test. You see, that's what he says needs to happen. A mind that just feels is not testing anything. A mind that leaps into the dark because, A, it feels good, is not testing anything. You're only going to feel the result of your leap, right? It's not testing anything. We are to test and to agree that something is happening that is the good will of God, namely, the perfect will of God. The renewed mind is the way in which we know and therefore desire that which enables us to successfully live the Christian life to the glory of God. I think that's so important. Is it important that we have a renewed mind? I think this is what's at stake. The renewed mind is the way in which we know and therefore desire that which enables us to successfully live the Christian life. Everybody wants to succeed at something in this life. For the Christian, the Christian life, our purpose in creation is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is the way that we succeed in our lives as if that end is is met. This is the means to that end, I think, according to the apostle. Because that's what's at stake in verse 1. True worship. True worship of God. And this is the means to that end. Well, why are Christians in need of renewed minds? Someone might object and say, well, remember you taught us recently in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that in Christ we are new creatures, new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So what is the use of renewed minds? Why do we need it? With God in Christ holding on to us, Christ says, no one can pluck you from my hand. We are secure, aren't we? What does it matter what we do or even what we think at this point? Let alone, do we need really a renewed mind? The answer is that this is a false dichotomy. This is a false assertion. A false spiritual understanding regarding God. Let let me say this as clearly as I can. A false spiritual understanding regarding God, the gospel, and his will at any time of our life threatens the damnation of the sinner and even the professing saint. Notice I didn't say the saint. I said the professing saint. The false spiritual understanding regarding God, the gospel, and his will 
threatens the damnation of the sinner and the professing saint. How do you say that? Galatians 1, 6-9, he's speaking to the church here. A church would have had a sound profession regarding the gospel. Paul says this to them, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of God, grace of Christ, and turning to a different gospel. You're deserting him? You're deserting God? By holding this false gospel, they would be deserting God. Not that there is another one, there's not another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be anathema or accursed. This is the greatest means of condemnation possible to call down on somebody. This is the wrath of God. This is the judgment of God. Anyone else who preaches another gospel than the one we preach, let them be accursed. As I have said before, so now I say it again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that we gave you or that you received from us, let him be accursed. Does it matter what you believe? Eternity depends on it. What, the way you think, eternity depends on it. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, we're coming up on the resurrection here, the East, Easter, which will slow down and everything will be about focusing and meditating and thinking on Christ's death on Good Friday in our place and his resurrection. What's at stake if you don't believe that Christ rose bodily? Well, Paul later will say, your faith is in vain if he didn't rise bodily. It doesn't matter what you believe. But listen to this. Now I would remind you, brothers, the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. That gospel, which is not, there's no other substitute for it. Listen, and by which you are being saved, if, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. In John's gospel, many times, in the first eight chapters, throngs are following Jesus. And oftentimes, they're described as those who believed him. And yet Jesus says he did not entrust himself to them. It says of Jesus in the end of chapter 2, he didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was in their heart. They believed a certain amount of what he had to say. They liked the miracles. That was nice. The water into wine. Who wouldn't want that at a party, right? They, they thought those were great. That's a great thing to have around this, this man. But their hearts were not for him. They did not love him. They did not see him with eyes of faith, believing that he is the Messiah, that he came to take away his, the, the sins of his people, that he came to release them from the bondage of sin, first and foremost. On and on through the Gospel of John, those who believed were soon shown to be false professors. There is a faith that is in vain. There's a faith by the liberal theologians that says you can follow Jesus as a great teacher of moral and societal good. Look how willingly he gave up his well welfare for others. And all they see is a societal object lesson. He's not going to save you. 
That, that Jesus won't save you. An object lesson won't save you. The Lamb of God will save you. And the true teacher. And Lord. The true Christ will save you. But listen to this, Paul says, For I delivered you as of first importance, first importance that I also received, that Christ died for your sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. What we believe matters always. And so beware of indifference regarding your need for mind renewal. Please listen to this. The unrenewed mind is always in danger of being proved to be unregenerate. The unrenewed mind is always in danger of being proved to be unregenerate. Why do Christians need their minds constantly renewed? First, because of who we used to be. Because of who we used to be. If you're a Christian, if you're in Christ now, you have a past. You have a past. That past was written, at, written on probably as explicitly in Romans chapter 1, 18 through verse 28, actually through the end of the chapter, as anywhere else in Scripture. And here's what it said about our mind. This is prior to us being in Christ. We were those who by our unrighteousness suppressed truth. Now, truth has a content to it that the mind weighs. Well, we suppress that in our minds, right? Verse 21 says, For although they knew God according to what he revealed to them in nature, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. It's the operation of the mind. That's thinking towards God. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Again in verse 25, because they exchanged the truth about God, that truth as contents, which we reject in our natural estate, for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. And then we read in verse 28, and I'm skipping a lot here, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, again a reference to the mind and how it operates towards God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And then it lists, it already has lists, multiple sins that we are always committing in our society, promoting and celebrating these days. And then it says in verse 32, though they know God's righteous decree, though they know it, those who, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they know that the wrath of God is right. They know that sins and such thinking is deserving of the wrath of God. They not only do them, but they give approval to those who do them, who practice them. And things have not changed in the nature of man since Moses wrote all the way back concerning how man was prior to the, the, to the deluge, to the flood. Genesis 6.5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And here's how he defines it. And that every intention of the thought of his heart was evil continually. Every intention of the thought of his heart. Now you say, well, that's the heart. To the Hebrew, the heart was, they didn't, they didn't just differentiate biologically. 
This is the mind he's speaking of. This is the, the way the thinking happens. Every thought, he says, an intention of the heart. This is, this is the way the thought... When you think about your mind, also don't be, be faulted or come into the trap of just thinking about this material brain, this blob up here. When we think about the mind, we're not materialists. We don't just think it's this object of inner workings up here. We're talking about the way in which we know truth, the way that we relate to it, the way that we know ourselves even. And here it is. This is the, the nature of man. It was evil continually, the thoughts of our heart. Ephesians 2 says that by nature we were in relationship to God, dead in our trespasses and sins, that we were sons of disobedience who lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Before the grace of God saved you, if you are in Christ, and I expect that most of you are here this morning. I pray that all of you are. In that condition, you were not merely guilty of sin. Ad we, we were adverse to God in our minds. Sinner is what defined us then. Even in our thinking as we related to God, we did not, the scriptures say, want God in our thinking. Our minds were bent against God's will, and this is the way that Scripture defines who we were. Second, sin self-replicates. When God looked upon the evil intentions of man back in Genesis, he described the way that our evil minds worked itself out there at that time, especially in violence, which indicates something. Sin does harm to our neighbor. That is, sin perpetuates evil in the world. I mean, how often do we know of the scenario that the abusing father raises abusing children, abusing sons? The alcoholic raises alcoholics. The sexual immoral raises sexually immoral. This is the way that sin perpetuates sin in the world. This is still ongoing in the world, by the way. You look at some of the sins that we are now engaging in, and you can see how we started in one degree of sin, and now we are moving to other degrees because generations have now lost the ability to stand their ground on any level when it comes to sin. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. So sin perpetuates sin. We're not only born sinners, we're not only, in a sense, addicted to sin as, as by nature, but we are conditioned to sin in this world. You get hurt, you're going to want an eye for the eye, aren't you? And sometimes you're not looking for justice, you're looking for you're looking for. Jealousy, you're looking for a means that you can get back on that, at that person. And third, we are always still under pressure. You and I are to conform to the world. That's why he says, be not conformed, because there's pressure 
for us to conform. But we're pressured to conform to the world in our mind. Scriptures teach that as believers, new creations in Christ Jesus, we are not utterly removed from our own willingness to sin, nor the temptation to sin. Inwardly, we still fight against sin. We still have the memory of sin. We all have in ourselves currently what Paul struggles with in Romans 7, 18 and 19, and then 22 and 23, for I know that nothing good in me dwells in me. That is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That's the one that Christ inhibits. That's the one that we're in union with him. But I see in my members, that's in his flesh. That sinful capacity he still has within him. Another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Although we find victory over our fleshly desires only and ultimately through Christ, Paul nevertheless teaches us many times to flee certain sins. Why? Because they're still tempting to us. Flee idolatry. Flee fornication. Flee the love of money. And there's more. And he tells us to mortify or put to death what is fleshly in us, what is earthly in us, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, lust, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. By the way, those last three sins described there all are sins of the mind. Evil desires, covetousness, passions. We're also tempted from without. The pressures from outside ourselves give, uh, fundamentally have to do what is, with what is in the world currently, what we're facing. We are faced as, a, as believers in the world, with the world that is not our home. And by world, I mean this temporary age of rebellion, man, man's rebellion against God. This is not what we're saved to, is to dwell in this age, in this temporary life, and to pursue its ends, and to pursue the sins that it pursues. We're not made for death. Remember, that's the end of sin. We're, made for, we're, we're born again unto eternal life. That's what we're saved unto. Scripture, especially in times of judgment, indicates that God seems to remove even his common grace from a people for a time in order to expose the heinous nature of sin and its destructive influence. And I believe we're living in that time. You don't have to wait for judgment, the catastrophism judgment, when you look at our culture, when you look at the Western society. You see a nation and a people pursuing sin at such a pace as we are and you can be confident that we are already under the judgment of God, in a sense. When you leave these doors, you will enter a world that will tell you all manner of contradictions to what you will find in the Word of God. All manner. I mean, I could preach a whole sermon 
many sermons on just philosophies, ideals, cliches, that they will bind your conscience if you're not renewing your mind with. The world that surrounds us currently will tolerate almost anything besides a biblical Christian worldview and renewed mind. They will not tolerate a biblical worldview. The world out there, and again, I'm saying that in a, this, this biblical sense of it, will seek your confirmation to them. They will seek your conforming to them. And the way they will seek that is through your mind. They want you to believe them. They want you to follow them. They want you to be conformed to their pattern. And they hold a contradiction in contradiction, the pattern of their thinking, the pattern of their mind is what we already read that we were thinking. That was us, but that's where they're at now. And listen, in our day and age, they have almost every means of public influence at their disposal. And I'm talking about not merely public avenues, but power to promote your confirmation to them. You're being conformed to them. Media and entertainment, if you haven't noticed it, is not promoting many biblical truths. Public schools and universities are a bastion harboring anti-Christ and anti-Christian thoughts and philosophies especially in America. Powerful corporations now have started to back and get behind and put pressure on anyone who seemingly would resist the new spirit of the age of conformity to the way of thinking. Federal and state governments are making laws that not only demand your respect but your celebration of, your agreement with sin. It's going to be hard to have an advantage at all in this world soon enough if you don't conform. If you work at certain jobs and you disagree with a certain thought pattern of the world because you're a Bible-believing Christian, you will go through sensitivity training. You will be brainwashed. They won't call it brainwashing, but that's what it is. They will make sure that you're conforming and your children are conforming. Perhaps the most dangerous means and avenue which has led to all of these other avenues gaining influence is the false Christianity that will continue to promote, in your mind, contradictions to the Word of God into the Christian life. And all of these operate like their God wants them to, Satan. He is the God of this world, this age, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He's, no, he's not God. He rules those who are under his dominion. 
Praise God, Galatians 1 says, Christ saved us from his rule. We're not under his rule anymore. But he is still a tempter, and he's still a lion, and he still has wiles. Listen to this. The world will seek the corruption of the sanctity of marriage. Listen how Satan operates, and this is, this is how our world is operating. It's insidious. It's underhanded. It's slow, but it's happening. That's my favorite word I've been telling people lately. Insidious. It's what I see. Make love, not war. Right? Does anybody remember that phrase? Well, you know, on-demand divorce was kind of being pushed at the same time. Divorce for any reason at all. Hey, that was the first breakdown of the sanctity of marriage and of sexuality in our country. If, if, if marriage can just be ended at any whim, sex doesn't matter. And, and that's the end of it. I mean, that's the end of the blockades when it comes to morality for what happens in the bedroom. Because what God has said is that the marriage bed is undefiled. When two become one, that's where that relationship is good and right and should be enjoyed. When that is broken down, the gates are open. And then what's followed? Love wins, right? And what's that mean? That means if you are the same gender or sex as somebody you're attracted to, pursue that desire. Doesn't matter. Hey, maybe you're married and you don't, you don't want to live in a monogamous relationship. Love wins after all. Maybe you love someone else. Pursue that someone else. Why should anybody tell you you can't love that somebody else? But you see, love wins is just a way to conform your mind to a lie. Conform your mind to the world, not to God's word, not to, to what's good. And that lie will lead to death. How about the one, stop hate? I, in, my, in my formative years, it was so hard for me to think biblically and get my mind renewed because these sorts of slogans were everywhere. And all of the kids from my generation seemed to be falling all over themselves to believe them and fall in line with them. And it was even hard to talk to people because as soon as you mention, the Bible says this about sexuality. Man and woman, husband and wife, that's good. Everything else is sin. Oh, you're hateful and bigoted. It's a slogan. It's a lie. And we fall all over ourselves. As they teach your children, listen, they will teach our children to dishonor you as parents. They will teach them to do that. They have been teaching us as children, as us, children to dishonor our parents. And the way they do this is to tell them in cartoons, follow your dreams, right? That sounds really nice. At the same time, mom and dad are saying, do this, do what's right. The character, follow your dreams. And then, the oh, now I'm a hero because I followed my dreams and mom and dad proved to be foolish and stupid. You know? Be yourself. You can be anything you want to be in all other sorts of lies. Those are lies. I wanted to be a pro basketball player. 5'8", as a sophomore in high school, I realized if I listened to that lie, I would be in trouble my whole life. I would be wasting my life. Not very athletic. Pursuing what? 
a lie. Rather, God has given you gifts. He's made you valuable. He's created you in, your, in his image. Do whatever you do to the glory of God with all of your might. That's the biblical mind. As they mar what it means to be man and woman, as they disfigure it, as they make it unrecognizable, as they make being made in God's image scofflaw, they scream for equality, useless terms, reproductive rights and choice in order to destroy life in the womb of mothers. The newest slogan is as ironic as it gets, trans people are people too. And before we just hear these slogans, before we get carried away with an anger because of the hostility of seeing our culture changed and shifted, trans people are people too who are sinners and can be saved by the gospel. That's what a renewed mind thinks of and who need it. And who need to know the love of Christ because they are in a crisis of mind. They are. It's not like these people don't really think that this is who they are. They are in a crisis of instability. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, James says. And if we give in to that, they don't have hope because there's no gospel message going to go to them. That's the crisis that we're facing. It's not merely a crisis of society and a breakdown of it. It's a crisis of everlasting judgment. It's a crisis of not attaining the grace of God because there is no one who has the mind of Christ. No one is willing to have their mind renewed and pursue that end. They promote idolatry of the individual by saying, do whatever feels right to you. No one can tell you what to do. And this is the same thing that Satan said at the beginning. Has God said? You're God. <laughs> Don't you want to be God? Well, that's what God does, what he wants. It's not what we've been given right to do, whatever we want. But these are the ways you are being expected to think in the world. Even the protests against sin, like racism, when they protest against it, they fan the flames of it by, pro, by promoting a contradictory ideal to the word of God, which says we are all from one blood. Rather, they say, this group oppressed this pe people over here, so now eye for eye, let's oppress that people over here who oppress that group. That's not a biblical way of seeing things. That's not a gospel-oriented way of seeing truth. They deny the power of the gospel when they do that. When they cry out, do not judge, they do so while desiring the robe and the gavel and even the throne of God by which to cast their pronouncement of judgment. In short, in the spirit of the age, the spirit of the age in our society to call evil good and good evil, to them we need to say woe to you. Isaiah 5.20. And all of these ideals and all of these uh, false uh, categories are being impressed upon you and on your children all the time. And what then is your response? It should be the renewal of your mind. 
Do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is the way you will not be conformed to all of the lies that are out there. So, finally, this will go quickly. The fundamentals of mind renewal. This is very, very basic. But I wanted, if I'm telling you to renew your mind, if Scripture is telling us it's so important, how? How do we renew our minds? First, first, you must be born again. That regeneration that I read in, first, or in Titus 3.5 must happen in order for your minds to be renewed. There has to be a starting point. There has to be a change of the, the very basic individual, the basic starting point of who you are. And that only comes through the work of the Spirit. John 3, by the new birth. But how the Spirit works is through the Word of God. The Word that He inspired. Listen to this. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spake from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. We read in our responsive reading that the Word of God is breathed out. The Scriptures are breathed out. This is where the Spirit works, is through the Word that He inspired. This is how He informs not only the Christian, but the unbeliever. This is how the message of the gospel goes out and is preached through the preaching, but through the work of the Spirit is brought not merely to the hearers so that they're just hearers of it, but it brings change in the unregenerate and regeneration. What was dead becomes alive, Ephesians chapter 2. The Spirit, by grace, quickens the sinner. But that's what you need. You need First of all, to be born again. Second, once you're born again and you're trusting Christ and Christ is in you because that's what happens. With regeneration comes faith and faith clings to Christ but we need to reckon in our mind that Christ is with us. Christ is in you is better. You are in union with Christ by faith. The life that you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave His life for you. So Paul says, I'm not going to be known as myself any longer. I'm going to be known as one who is in Christ. It's not how I'm going to identify any longer as having my own righteousness, Philippians chapter 3, or pursuing that end, which was myself, but knowing that Christ is in me. Now, how is Christ in you? He's in you by faith, but he's also in you by the indwelling Holy Spirit. He said in John 14, 26, 
but the paraclete, the helper, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you, again, teach you, listen to that. This is what you need for your renewed mind. The Holy Spirit will dwell with you, but he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is a teaching influence. He's an indwelling influence for the Christian so that by him we will have renewed minds. But how does, what does he teach us of? Christ, the gospel. It's not just that when we walk out, out into the world, your minds will be renewed because you're walking and the Spirit is in you and dwelling in you and you'll just know ipso facto what to do all the time. No, He brings you back to Christ. He brings you back to Scripture. He brings you back to who you are in Christ. And that's what informs your decisions, what you believe, what you hold to the pattern of your mind and the operation that it leads to. Again in John 16, 13 through 14, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, that is of Christ, from Christ, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus is speaking, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit teaches us of the most important truth that there is, namely of Jesus Christ. If you know Jesus, you know God. And if you know that, if that is what your mind is being renewed by, you will not be conformed to this world. You will be conformed to Christ. And so the Christians live in this fundamental sense with the Holy Spirit's influence upon us. And here's how Paul wrote about it in Romans 5, 8, I'm sorry, 8, 5 through 9. Listen to this. Is this if you're in Christ, this is true of you. And this is how you can be confident that your mind will be part of this renewal process, that your mind will be one that will be renewed. Listen, for those who live according to the flesh, that's absent of faith in Christ, not trusting in the gospel, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, listen to this, if you are in Christ Jesus, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells you in you. And so here we have, I, wanna, I want us to see this. Paul begins in Romans 12:1 by this little phrase, by the mercies of God. Right? Remember that? He is not telling us, then, that this mind renewal process is up to you and your strength. It's all grounded in the mercies of God. And, and Paul is telling us in Romans 8 that the indwelling Holy Spirit is part of that mercy. So this is not up to you in the final analysis. It's up to you working by the grace of God that is in you by the Spirit of God who has been given you to conform you to the image of God in Christ Jesus. Here's how Paul says it in another place. I'm sorry, Peter says it this way. In, in chapter 2, or 2 Peter 1, 3, and I, I'm going to end here. 
Finally, because of the mercies of God, notice that, mercies of God again. Here's what Peter says. God's divine power has granted, that's the mercies, granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Even the renewal, the renewal of your mind has been bought for you and given to you by virtue of the indwelling spirit and your union to Christ. So be about that business. Be about having the renewed mind. Let's pray. Our Father, we want to please you. We want to live in accordance with your will. We don't want to be conformed to this age. It's passing away. It's under the wrath of God as we speak. We want to be influenced by the Holy Spirit. We, we want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Therefore, Father, we want that so that we can be of earthly good, so that we can be salt and light in this world that is dead in their trespasses and sin, like we used to be. Apart from the gospel, apart from the Holy Spirit and the regeneration, the new birth and faith in Christ and the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, we, we would be without hope. We would be without God in the world as they are. But because of this transformation, help us to be faithful, to live out the pattern of the Christian life, which also includes to love our neighbor, to love our enemy, to preach Christ, to confess of Christ before men, to pray for our enemies, to do good to them, Lord, that you might bring the increase and that you might save sinners for their everlasting good and for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.